So we're blessed to have such great pastors. We have David as our children's pastor, and, and we're grateful for what you do, um, raising up our kids and feeding them the word. Um, you've said that it's um, teaching kids is, you know, you, it's hard because you have to keep their attention. And I think you do a great job because we hear a lot of stuff from the kids, um, quoting stuff, um, telling us things that they've learned. And so it's working. What you're doing is working. And we appreciate that very much. Pastor Daniel, um, we're not sure what you do. <laughs> no, there's, there's more to just a pretty face there. Um, he, keeps, he keeps this place going um, financially and keeping track of our finances. And just there's a lot of, lot of unseen things that he does that people just don't notice. Um, but without him... This place would fall apart. You're definitely the glue that holds this place together. We appreciate you guys for that. Um, and Pastor Jordan and Elizabeth, we love you guys. Um, I, I wouldn't want to be under any other pastor right now. You've, you've really made a difference in my life and my family's life, and uh, we're grateful for that. And um, We've served together now for 10, 11, 12 years, something like that, and, and I'm grateful for every one of them. Okay. Um, so... Can we stand and, and reach your hands towards our pastors? Here, I'll give you this. Let's uh, pray. Daniel. Uh, pray for them as they carry on the work of the Lord. Lord, we just thank you for today for our pastors. We thank you that you've blessed us with such wonderful men and women that um, love you, that want to serve you, that care about um, your flock. Um, Lord Jesus, we pray that as, as this year um, winds down, Lord God, that um, you give them an extra special anointing, an extra special blessing on their lives as they, as they pursue you and as they continue the work that you've called them to do. Lord, we love our pastors, and I wouldn't want to be anywhere else, and we love this church, and we thank you for bringing us all into this place. God, we ask that you'll just bless each one, and we thank you for it in your precious name. Amen. Oh, thank you, Paul. You're welcome. I get surprised by that every year. You know what's amazing is the, uh, I don't know, this is a statistic that the average length of a pastor's tenure at a church is two and a half years. So to have Daniel and David, who've been with me since I was a wet behind the ear 25-year-old, and Paul said 10 years now. I know Jeff's been here for that long. And, and so we have a track record of stability, and that's a wonderful, wonderful yeah. thing to have. So I'm sure grateful for that. I'm grateful for you. Now, um, you know, we're in a series here uh, called The Road Less Traveled. Romans is the most doctrinally significant book in the New Testament. And there's a big debate right now taking place in churches because you can see, feel the culture war shifting. And the question is, does ministry supersede doctrine? Because there's people who are saying, well, we need to allow for certain things to take place in churches or we need to change the rules because, you know, really... Uh, we need to reach people, and, they, and they're de-emphasizing doctrine. So in the book of Romans is where we learn a lot about doctrine, a lot about theology, and today's section, Romans chapters 6, 7, and 8, there's really no reason this should be taught in one section. I hate to do it. It's so much here, so rich here, but we're just trying to give you kind of an overview of the book so that when you are in your own devotional time, you can study it, you understand what's taking place, you can look it up. That's where you're going to grow is when you take the time for yourself to get into the scriptures. Amen? Amen. Let's read Romans 6. And I want to read the first four verses and then pray. Here's what the Bible said. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace 
may abound. You know, we've been talking about sin and the grace of God the last couple of weeks. And then he said in verse 2, certainly not, which if you were to look at that, what that phrase is from the Hebrew mindset when Paul was writing this, it means perish that thought, forget that idea. How shall we who've died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we're buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for the word of the Lord. I pray for revelation to flood people's hearts and minds. I pray for a supernatural revelation of the cross, of its power, of its nature, of the way it's worked in our lives. I pray that the Spirit of the Lord invade hearts and minds. Give us a fresh and new glimpse of your work in our lives, in our midst, in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen and amen. Amen. Now, it is nice outside today. I like fall because uh, it, it, it reminds me of the change in seasons. You know, one of my favorite things to do in the summer season has been camping. And I was thinking back about the messiest camping trip I ever went on. And it had to be the one we went to uh, Pine Creek Campground in Livingston. I think I have documentation of it. Uh, pictures of children who were covered in mud and dirt. You can see them right there. Oh, such a mess. And the reason they got that dirty, they were playing beneath the table. Uh, right? Yeah, see that? I caught them. Now, these guys were covered in dirt like you have never seen. Crawling around down there, asking them what they were doing. They were digging a hole under there. I mean, after a camping trip, children need to take baths. You know that? So we got them bathed up. There's an old saying that says, cleanliness is next to godliness. And that is an idea that's rooted in what we call sanctification. Someone say sanctification. Now, these are some of the greatest chapters of the Bible, man, Romans 6, 7, and 8. They are hard to teach through in one session. Uh, my mom actually used to teach them quite a bit in Bible studies in the living room, and she'd go like nine, ten months a year going through this passage of Scripture. So I hate to do this to you, but my aim is to teach through the Bible here, through Romans. So we talked about the presentation of the gospel. We talked about the problem of sin. Last week, we talked about the provision God made for righteousness, and today we get to talk about this little old process that we call sanctification, whereby which God is cleansing you. How, how is it you're going to pursue righteousness, the pursuit of it? Because Jesus did say, follow me, didn't he? And, and if you're going to follow him, if you're going to live righteously, you need to know how. So I'm going to take just a thought at the beginning of the chapter and highlight it for you. The first thought, chapter 6, which you can see on your syllabus or your outline there, is surrendering to the work of the cross. This is how sanctification begins. And Paul gets technical about this supernatural union we have with Jesus Christ. Look at Romans 6, verse 5. He said, if we've been united together, someone say united. If we've been united in the likeness of his death, and what he's referring to here, we just read in the first four verses, is the imagery of water baptism. Uh, certainly, he said, we'll be united in the likeness of his resurrection. This is why water baptism is so profound. In fact, I don't really like to baptize younger people who don't understand it or people who are really ready for it. When I was baptized at 17, I had just rededicated my life. I knew what I was doing. I understood the imagery of a death, a burial, and a supernatural resurrection. It took place in my life. God met me in that moment. And what he's telling us is when you get baptized, you're acknowledging, I have died to sin with Jesus, and I live again through his resurrection. I'm going to give you... Some key words here in Romans chapter 6. Romans 6, verse 6. Knowing this, someone say knowing. That our old man, that's your, your fleshly body, it says was, was crucified with him. Uh, that the body of sin 
might be done away with, and that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So our first word here is the word knowing. What you need is a revelation of the power of the cross. You need the eyes of your understanding to be enlightened. It can happen in a, in a moment of time. In fact, the prophet Isaiah said, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? It's it almost like in order for a person to really understand salvation, they have to have a revelation of the cross at work in your heart. It has to be something you know in your heart. Out of your heart, the Bible says, precede the issues of life. So the cross is this supernatural work that you and I get to experience. And it's a finished work. You'll notice that it's used in the past tense. It says that the old man was crucified with him. And what I discover in churches is too many times people are going around and it's like they're trying to crucify their flesh. They're trying to take care of problems themselves. And yet the Bible says the old man was crucified with him, which means it's an established fact. It's a historical thing. You receive it in Christ. I was crucified with Christ when I identify with him on the cross. That has to be a revelation in your spirit. Romans 6, 11. Here's the second word. Likewise, you also reckon. Someone say reckon. Reckon yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our second word is the word reckon. And that is a word in your Bible that probably means consider. Uh, it's, it means you count it. It's, it's an accounting term. You ought to look it up in QuickBooks, and you'll see that the money is in the account. It's an established fact. This is a factual part of this. When you put your faith in Jesus, you're identifying with him in his death, his burial, his resurrection. And it says here, I'm dead to sin, but I'm alive to God. Alive to God, dead to sin. For you to really shut off that valve of sin working in your life, there needs to be an awareness that I am alive to God. I'm close to him. I can feel spirit working in my heart. It's alive in me. And when you're close, when you have that union, when he's in the forefront of your mind, when you love him that much, that is when it's easy to say no to sin. You're alive to God and dead to sin. You know, I remember there was a, a preacher that I, I followed, and he was in the airport, I think someplace like that one time. He was hit on by a woman, a prostitute. She said, asked if he was looking for a good time. And he said, uh, I'm a dead man. Sorry. She said, oh, that's terrible. How long have you had that condition? He said about 14 years now. <laughs> so he, I like that. I'm a dead man. Now, I have discovered this. If you have a problem with lust, the way to end that problem is to tell your wife. She'll help deal with that problem. <laughs> That's how you can get through some things. I'm dead to sin. I'm a love to God. I reckon it. It's an account. It's something in my mind. I am living for God. Word number three, Romans 6, verse 12. He said, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. You should obey its lust. This indicates that you have the decision power in, within your spirit, soul, and body to choose if you're going to let sin rule in your life or not. And this is how you do it, verse 13. He said, do not present your members. Someone say present. Uh, your members, that's, it's your body of your flesh. as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves. And that word means to submit yourself to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So our third word here is the word present, which means that you're surrendering your body. You're yielding yourself up. And it reminds me of what Paul is going to say later in Romans 12 when we get there, uh, when he talked about how we worship. Uh, 
Present your body as a living sacrifice. It's a spiritual act of worship. When I put my hands up to the Lord, I'm surrendering him, just like we do in worship. Because what you're saying is, Lord, it's not my life, it's your life. I'm giving it to you. I'm surrendering to the work of the cross in my life. I'm giving it over to you. Now, the way I do this is I will ask for God's help in the situation. I cannot tell you how many times I've said, Lord, help in this case. I I may not know what to do. I'm struggling, but I ask for God's help. And I'm telling you, he finds ways to show up and intervene and help get through. It's called the grace of God. I just want to surrender my life to him. I want to give it to him. Verse 14 says, sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. What we said about grace is greater than all your sin. I can live above sin if I'm willing to surrender my life to the Lord. Titus 2.11, I like that verse. The grace of God has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we can live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, in the moment. Which means I'm no longer bound by alcohol, praise God. I'm not caught up in addiction. I'm not bound by pornography. I don't have to lie. I want to surrender to the work of the cross in my life. And Paul's given us these technical terms, man. You, you need to know it in your heart. It's got to be a revelation. You got to count it down that that happened through Jesus. I'm crucified with him, and I get to surrender my life to him. I mean, he lays it out right there. How are you going to get above sin? Revelation, acknowledgement, and surrender. Which brings us to chapter 7. And I, I just want to highlight this chapter in, in, in that he's getting very technical here. Paul is. The law, that's what he's going to address, is what exposes my sinfulness. Now, in case you haven't noticed, the book of Romans is dealing exclusively and extensively with this subject of sin, which in the year 2023, in many Christian circles, is like totally taboo. It's why people will say, well, we're just going to you know, use ministry and we're going to overlook doctrine because they don't want to address the topic of sin. They don't want to call certain activities that people are engaging with sin, and the Bible's very clear about what sin is. It doesn't leave room for it. Sin is alive and well in the world we live in. Now, I want to highlight verse 14 here. We know that the law is spiritual, but Paul said, I'm carnal. I'm sold under sin. The law is a godly thing. The problem is you and I have sinful natures. And what the law does, it helps highlight that. It helps define that. And when he talked about the law, he's talking about the the set of Old Testament rules and regulations that people had to live by. And when you look at the law, you know, there's certain elements of it. There's the sacrificial part of the law, you know, where we, we don't offer the blood of bulls and goats anymore. That, that has been done away with. Not, there's no temple in Jerusalem where that's being taken. Uh, there's, you know, the uh, ceremonial laws. That's like the feasts and, and the Sabbath. And, and what those things do is they point us to Christ. Jesus partially fulfilled some of those feasts, Passover and, and, and first fruits. And and then there's the moral part of the law, the Ten Commandments. You're talking about you know, the golden rule. Those are things that we should apply in our lives. But what happens with people that I've discovered, both then and out, people have this propensity in their life to try to justify themselves in the sight of God through their behavior, through external things by an attempt to achieve righteousness. I'm, I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to keep the law. And, and that thing is alive and well today. It's called religious behavior. And what the book of Romans highlights is that the way you're justified is not through external deeds, but through your faith in Jesus. I wish more people would read this book. Look, because here's, here's what's 
But then he gets really technical. He gets down to the heart of how people have this internal struggle because they want to do things in an attempt to justify themselves. Look what he said in verse 15. He said, what I'm doing, I don't always understand. What I will to do, I don't always do. And what I hate, that's what I do. He's describing the inward struggle with sin. Here, the struggle is real. This is the Apostle Paul. This is the man who wrote three-fifths of the New Testament. And he's talking here about how you're going to go through moments where you have a real battle on the inside of your heart and mind, how it plays out. He said in verse 16, if then I do what I don't want to do, I agree with the law that it's good. But now he said, I'm noticing it's not I who's doing it. It's sin which dwells in me. In verse 18, he said, I know that in me, he talks about the flesh. In my flesh dwells nothing good. I, I, I find to will is present, but how to perform it, I do not find. It, it's the funniest thing, man. I've been a Christian for 20, I've been really serving the Lord since I was 18, so I'm going on 25 years of serious professional Christian behavior. And sometimes I don't want to yell at my wife, but I do. <laughs> and sometimes she yells back at me. She don't want to heal. And there's moments like that where you have this struggle. And it's a, it's a struggle with sin that takes place in your flesh. And, and, and it, it's a tension that Paul is describing. I'm happy he described it. Sin dwells in your flesh. Your flesh is the reason why you like to sin. The flesh gets stirred up. And, you know, I, I think it's funny because uh, <laughs> I, I've made some observations. Like, if I overindulge in food, as is common to happen on holiday meals, I find my flesh gets stirred up. If my magnanimous personality starts getting a little out of control, I can be very charming. But if we let that go a little too far, I find my flesh gets stirred up. If my little children spend too much time on their tablets or electronics or watching Disney movies, I find that their flesh gets stirred up. They start kicking and screaming when you take away their toys. It's called the flesh. And it's a funny thing because your flesh is a problem. And I watch as people will attribute all kinds of you know, things. They think it's demons behind someone. Really what it is, it's the flesh at work. And what he's describing here is this tension. I mean, he, he's getting very technical. You're going to be faced in moments in life where your flesh wants to run wild and it will feel like you don't have any control over it. That's what the Bible's telling you right here. But I thank God he gives us an answer. That answer, what are you going to do about it? He jumped down to verse 24. Wretched man that I am. Paul's saying, I don't know. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death, this, this flesh nature that sometimes gets out of hand to the best of us? Who's going to help me with that? And then he says in verse 25, I thank God. He's saying, it has been done through Jesus Christ my Lord. Amen. With the mind, I want to serve the law of God. I want to be obedient to his commandments. I want to submit to him. But with the flesh, sometimes my sin nature get, gets, gets stirred up. Man, I want to serve God. I really do. I know people who want to serve God that really do. But that sin nature is a battle that's taking place. You read the verse. <coughs> With the mind, I serve the law of God. I will talk to you about the battlefield of your mind in just a little bit, because that's where he's going in chapter 8. That, that is one of the greatest battlefields you'll ever face. But I want to draw you again to God's answer, because it's found at the beginning of the chapter. Romans chapter 7. In the first four verses, Paul is describing what it's like to be married. He said, my brethren, 
you have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you might be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Do you want to bear fruit to God? Jesus fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, I also have died to those requirements. I'm no longer held to them. I don't have to keep them. What happened instead is Jesus actually elevated the standard of righteousness. He gave us an entirely higher set of standards, standards that go directly to your heart. I'm not bound by external things that I have to keep in an attempt to achieve righteousness or be right with God. I don't have to do outward things. I will do outward things if my heart is right. That's what he's saying. Jesus said, murder is of the heart. Adultery is of the heart. Deceitfulness is of the heart. And when he fulfilled the the requirements of the law, and you and I have our faith in him, what he's saying is, I'm not bound to that. I am bound to the person of Jesus. And that is what helps me overcome this desire to try to prove myself, justify myself, because what those things do is inflate your ego and, and deal with your pride. The law focuses on external things, but Jesus will deal with external things. Paul's very technical. He's telling us about the work of the cross. He's working in your life. He's telling you that you're not bound to earthly things. You have a union with Christ that helps you grow in him. That's that's what we have to follow, that inward witness. Which brings us to chapter 8. I'm going to spend some time here in chapter 8. The most paramount and profound chapter, I think, perhaps in the Bible. Romans chapter 8 is a chapter I read, I go to. It gives me answers all the time. And it is a shame to walk through it like I do so fast, but I'm just going to give you some thoughts. I was praying about this chapter. I was reading it. And it deals with what our topic is today, the process of sanctification. That's number three, the process of sanctification. First of all, you need a revelation of the cross. You've got to know it in your knower. It has to be real to you. It will give you that sense of union you have with Jesus, how he's alive in your heart. And you've got to know that you're not bound by the law. It's powerless over you. What you really need to understand is this process of sanctification. Sanctification basically means that your children are dirty, <laughs> and you've got to clean them up. <laughs> and that's the way God sees you when you're in sin, a filthy, shabby mess. But through the process of the Spirit of God's work in your life, He gets you cleaned up, scrubs you up, and He's setting you aside for a greater purpose. He's got things he wants to accomplish in you, achieve in you, work in you. But to get you ready, it's a process. Have you ever experienced that process with God? I want to just give you some, uh, some verses here. I'm going to walk through the chapter, give you verses. These are God's end game for you. Romans 8 verse 1, I love this verse. There is therefore right now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who don't walk in the flesh, but who walk according to the Spirit. Now, he's telling you, in spite of some of the sin issues that hold you back and lag on your life and eat away at you, in spite of all that, if you are sincerely walking with God, if you are sincere in your faith in Jesus, there is no condemnation to you. Man, that is a remarkable aspect of God's incredible grace he's extended to you. It means he's willing to work with you if you're willing to work with him. If you are sincere, Lord, I want you in my life, and, 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 and you mean that, he, he will take you, he'll walk with you, he'll help you grow, and it's a beautiful thing that he does. 
He tells us in verse 2 that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Mm. This is an inward reality, the law of life in Christ Jesus. It's that inward awareness that's rooted in the revelation of who Jesus is and what he's done in your life. If you really get to know a resurrected Savior, a risen Savior, the, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus on the inside of you is something that you can sense and know. It's an awareness of who he is. It's your relationship with Jesus, and it stays vibrant and alive and helps keep you out of sin. I don't have to live by sin if life. And it's a vibrant, whole relationship with Christ Jesus. It's the law of the spirit of life. And it supersedes the law of sin and death. That's how powerful it is. And these are incredible things that people don't fully grasp. They don't know. It's so great to have a meaningful relationship with God because it will pull you out of sin. It has the power to do that. Now let's look at verse 5. This is where the rubber meets the road. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, like video games. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. He says that to be carnally minded. Now, at, at carnal it is a, a word that means, it's like fleshly minded. It, it means you're a meathead. <laughs> to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded, have your mind set on the things of the Spirit, have your mind set on the Word of God, is life and peace. I like what Isaiah said. I'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon me because he loves me. Verse 7, the carnal mind is an enemy. That's what the word enmity means. It's an enemy of God. It's not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. Now, let me talk about what sanctification is. Sanctification is when you set your mind on the things of the Spirit. You set your mind on spiritual things. This is one of the greatest keys you'll ever have to having a successful Christian life. It's Again, in Romans 12, 2, be renewed by the transforming, be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The things that you dwell at are going to make or break you. If all you do is dwell on sin, if all you do is dwell on negativity, if all you do is think about worldly things and problems, you, you really aren't going to be very successful in life. It will keep you limited. And what the Bible's telling us here is that for you to be successful in your walk with God, you have to set your mind on spiritual things. You have to meditate in the Bible. You've got to know it. You've got to replace your thoughts with God's thoughts. That is the entry level of the process of sanctification. You've got to have his word hidden in your heart so that when difficult times come, when pressure is on, that, that what comes out of you is, is a scripture. And listen, I know this because I've been in moments in life where my thought process has been totally in the wrong place. And when you dwell on the wrong thoughts, guess what you're going to have? the wrong actions, the wrong behavior, the wrong circumstances. And, and so it is a battle, this battle in your mind for you to say, no, I'm not going to dwell on that. I am going to dwell on what the Bible says. When you're complaining because you don't like your life, you feel like you're out of money, you're not going to make it, or you're not happy in a marriage, this is the place where you have to take those thoughts, cast them down, and replace them with the Word of God. And that, my brothers and sisters, is like the moment when you discover if your Christian walk is going to be real and successful and fruitful, or if you're just going to be, you know, someone who never pleases God in your relationship. Open church on Sunday. You know that don't really please God. This is what the scriptures are teaching. I know a lot of people who show up in church on Sunday, 
But it's like their minds are elsewhere because they haven't been renewing it. They haven't been setting it on the Spirit. And I can't overemphasize the point enough. I'd like to belabor with you. You really have to get your mind renewed by the Word of God or you're going to have real problems in life. That's the entry level of sanctification. This is what he's trying to work in your life. Now, how does this work out? Jump down to verse 14. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So what sanctification means is that you are led by the inward witness, your inner man, the Spirit of God. This is the place where it actually tells us what it means to be a son of His, a son of God. The inward witness is the evidence of the union you have with Christ. That's why in verse 17, he calls you a joint heir with him. You have a joint union, and the way that works is the Holy Spirit within you is guiding you. He's leading you. And this is evidence that God is sanctifying you. He's setting you apart because you have the sensitivity to hear his voice. Now, I just went through something where I had a booming loud voice in my spirit, but I was not sure what to do about it. And I kind of ignored it. And when a difficult situation played out in front of me, I realized, aha, that's what God was trying to communicate to me. And and it's an amazing thing. Being led by the Spirit is evidence that He's working with you, He's developing you, He's speaking to you. And you have to learn how to listen to your promptings because your promptings are the thing that will help keep you clean from sin. You listen to that. Don't do this in my heart. I don't think that's a good idea. You listen to those voices, and he will keep you on the straight and narrow out of sin. He'll keep you in a place of cleanliness. That is sanctification. I'm being led by the Holy Spirit. God's working in you. Here's another verse, verse 18. Here's what he said. Paul said, I consider that the suffering, someone say the suffering, of the present time, that's that's the moment we're living in right now, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is coming at the resurrection. Here's sanctification. It means that you're suffering against sin. Our suffering in the world, in the present tense, has to do with resisting sin. The Bible says the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. Like, Like sin is very easy. It's real. It's in the world. And when we say no to sin, there's an element of suffering with that. I can tell you a thing or two about sin. I have, as we said, extensive experience with it. But the Bible does say in Romans 6, 23, I skipped over this verse, the wages of sin is death. It never does seem to work out the way you want it to be. So you know you're being sanctified when you're stopping sinning. You know that sanctification is at work when you say, no, I'm not going to do that. That's how God starts sanctifying. And I've had moments in dealing with sin where I fled from it 100 miles an hour the opposite direction. No, no, no. I don't want to touch that. I'm going this direction. I've had other moments where I've just turned my back and walked away from it. I'm not going to do that. And I hate to tell you this, but I have had moments where I crawled away from it. It wasn't so easy to walk away from. And that's still sanctification. He's working in your heart. I had moments where I had to make a decision. I'm not going to do that. And I turned my back on it. And what that is is the process of sanctification. I am not, I'm not going to let this have control in my life. I'm not going to let this thing eat me up. And, and I'm suffering through something in the present moment and something I really want to do and something stirs me up in my flesh, but I'm just not going to do it, man. And, and, and that is sanctification. Now let's look at verse 26. 
Here's what the Bible says. Likewise, the Holy Spirit helps in our weaknesses. Someone say weaknesses. Because he said, we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. I like this verse. But the Holy Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Here's sanctification. This is how the Holy Spirit helps you. He helps you when you don't know what to do. He helps you when you're confused. He helps you when you think, what am I going to do in this situation? Man, he, and and he, what he does is he helps us pray. When I pray in other tongues, when I pray in the Holy Spirit, I'm telling you, that's where answers exist. I've had moments where I'm just at a loss. I, I, I feel like, man, I don't know which direction to turn. What am I going to do about this situation? How do I fix it? Because, you know, men love to have answers for things and fix things. And, and sometimes there are no answers. And I find that when I go pray in the Spirit, God answers them. God takes care of them. That's the work of the Spirit. He, when you pray because you don't know what to do and you're at a loss of things and you're saying, Lord, help me, He gives you wisdom to say no. He gives you strength maybe to say yes. He gives you that inward witness. He'll reveal the things to do. And what that is is sanctification. I, I, I'm going through difficult things. I'm struggling in the world, striving against sin, not to live that way. And God, I need your help. And so I spend time with you and I pray with you. And, and, and the Holy Spirit helps me grow. That's sanctification. He's working in your heart. He, he's working. I like what verse 28 says, all things together for good. Look at verse 28. We know that all things, that's the difficult things you go through, the disappointments in life, miscarriages, bankruptcies, failures, whatever it is, they work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Do you love God? Do you believe He's called you to His purpose? And if you believe that and you're walking with Him, He can take that mess of yours and He can sanctify it. He can cleanse it. He can set it apart. He can work for your good because He's God. He's able to do that. He's able to take the mess and make it a message. He's able to take that test and make it a testimony. All things, this is a powerful verse, work for good. I like verse 29. Here's where we get theological. It says that whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Here's where, here, yeah, Romans is doctrinal. Romans is theological. Let me give you my best theological take on predestination. You want to know what you're predestined to do? You are predestined to look like Jesus. We are predestined to be conformed to his image. That's what the verse says. See, this is Romans. It's jam-packed with uh, theology. It's jam-packed with doctrine. This is the great section of Scripture where we talk about predestination and free will. Does God give you free will? Yes, he did. Is God sovereign? Does he have a predetermined plan? Yes, he does. Uh, I have been predestined to be conformed to his image. He is sanctifying me. He's cleansing me, he's working in me, he's purifying me, and that's what God is doing. He is at work in you, he's pruning things. He's rubbing off rough edges, he's removing the little foxes in your life that spoil the vine, and he's the potter and you are the clay, and he's making you more like Jesus. That is what he's doing in your life. That is the process of sanctification. If you're sincere, if you want him, if you're walking with him, if you're praying, if you're asking God, if you're pressing through, he is working in you forming you to his image. That's that where we've gone in this process in Romans. Man, I love it. I, I love where he's taking us, the pursuit of righteousness. And here's why he does it. Verse 37. In all these things, in everything you go through, in difficulties, failures, frustrations, questions you have in life, he said he's made us more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
know what sanctification is? It's when I overcome trials and tribulations through God's love. Because he loves me. Man, God loves you. And he will be with you through some of the most challenging, difficult things when you don't have answers for and you don't know what to do. His love is there, and that's part of his sanctification process. The greatest place you get to in your spiritual development, when you walk with God, is you get to be a person who walks in love. That's when you look like Jesus. When you're walking in the love of God, man, he is at work with you. I think about the moments he's been with me in difficult places when I knew he loved me. I remember one time at a wedding years ago when I was 20 years old. And I was so happy to be at this wedding when you're 20, you're filled with ego and you want to show yourself so strong and be cool. And I ended up in the women's bathroom when the bridal shower was there. I tried to hide. They caught me in there. I lied about it. It was very embarrassing. But the Lord was with me. He loved me in spite of my problems. <laughs> I have been grateful that he's always with me. He's grateful. I'm grateful. He was with my kid in the NICU 40 days, 40 nights. And that was challenging, but I knew God loved me. Through my dad's death, God was with me. He loved me. Uh, he, he's been with me, you know, when I've had all kinds of problems, failures, mistakes, and it's the love of God that allows me to be more than a conqueror. I get to look like Jesus, and nothing in this, nothing at all gets to separate you from God's love, man. Whoo, that is a wonderful thing. That is where the process of sanctification will take you, into a place where you know and receive the love of God. Think about the greatest doctrinal book in the Bible. We got here the book of Romans. I mean, we, we get to reveal the plan of salvation, God's wrath. and We talked about justification by grace, which is a completely unique Christian doctrine that allows us to be righteous in God's sight through the grace of God. I mean, these are monumental doctrines. And, and next week, we get to talk about God's sovereignty and the way that he deals with the nation of Israel, which is a perfect time to do that message. And all this theology and doctrine is doing is pointing us to the love of God in your life. That's the end game. He loves you. He cares about you. Love is the reason why you clean up messy kids. Because they got a photo shoot coming up and you want them to look like you. <laughs> you, you, you want them to be just like you are. You know, I, I was thinking about pursuits that I had in high school that were so vain, so empty. It's fun to be popular. You know, you're striving for it. You want to go after, you want to be the coolest person. You want to look so good for people. I remember being, you know, in, in those years where it was like, that's what I wanted. But one day when I really rededicated my life to the Lord, I'm reminded of what Paul said in the book of Philippians, that whatever things were gained to me, I've counted these things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And when you walk with God and you get to know him and you pursue him and you want him in your life, he has the audacity to start cleansing you, purifying you, cleaning things up, taking dirt off of you, chopping off branches that aren't producing fruit. And he's doing that because he's holy and he wants you to be near him. And a holy God cannot tolerate the presence of sin in your life. So I want to pursue righteousness. I want to go after God. I want to walk with God. I want to know him. And if that's what you want, first thing you got to do is surrender to the work of the cross. And this is what saved. I want to give, I want, I want you to have your way in me, Jesus. Work in my heart and mind. Man, this is what saved people do. If you really are saved and know the Lord, you'll have no problem. If you have a hesitation, just put your hands up and say, Lord, work in me. You might want to question whether or not you really are saved. There's something about just saying, Lord, have your way in my heart. Work in me. I want to give my life to you totally. 
Maybe you don't have a full revelation of what Jesus did for you at the cross. All it takes is an instant and a moment of time when the arm of the Lord can be revealed. And what he'll show you is sin in your life and your need for a Savior. So, Lord, I say, uh, have, have your way in me. I don't want to rely on my own strength. I don't have to achieve righteousness. I like how the prophet Isaiah said that all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. You could try so hard and do so much, and God is not looking at external things. He's looking at your heart. He sees the condition of the heart. But I do sense this morning, I say what I sense, I sense that the process of sanctification is alive and well. Here's how James said it. Let patience have its perfect work, and you'll be complete and thorough, missing nothing. Patience is an element of sanctification. What God is doing is he's working in you. And when we talk about God's work in your life, you know what we're talking about is holiness. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. I want to be a holy, clean vessel for the Lord. That's why I'm surrendering to him. That's why I put my hands up. So I just want to pray that over you. Father, I just thank you for clean vessels. I thank you for pure hearts and minds. I pray that people really would be saved. It's not to sit in church and show up with a smile. It means my heart is postured towards you. And I want to give you everything. And I ask you to search the deep recesses of my heart. And I pray that you would just cleanse me from the inside out and make me a vessel of honor fit for you. I pray that over this people. I pray hearts and minds ready to receive. Mm. Lord, I thank you. I, I'll tell you what, man. I just sense purity and a, and a desire to know the Lord in this room. Mm. I thank you, Father. Mm. You could probably look back in life and find moments when God was working in you and he sanctified something and maybe you identified it as that or maybe you didn't. But if you know the Lord and you're walking with him, he will never stop doing that. It doesn't matter if you're uh, 70 years old. It doesn't matter if you're 17. He's at work. Now, I, I had just have a burden for my friend Arnetta back here. Arnetta, sometimes the Lord just comes to me at the end of service. I want you to stand up and I want to pray over you. I have such a love for you. I feel like... Hmm, hmm, yeah, let's just take a moment here. Arnetta, I feel like that God is still sanctifying something. I feel like he's going to cleanse something in your life and it's for a greater purpose. I don't know what it is. I feel like, oh, you know what I feel like? I feel like your work's not done yet. Uh -huh. You think you're at the end of your rope. Uh, and uh, sometimes it feels like life goes on. What more have I to do? But I feel like the Lord has got more for you to do. But with more to do, more cleansing has to take place. I don't know what that means. I don't think you're murdering people or anything like that. <laughs> I, I just think that God loves you to work greater and mightier in your heart. So pray for us. Pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for this precious woman of God. Uh, I thank you, Lord. More fruit, more fruit, mighty fruit, greater fruit, bigger fruit. Remember that? You came to Grandma's funeral, didn't you? Remember my story about the cherry trees? Yeah, a lot of fruit in old age. Yeah, that's what it says about all, all trees that bear fruit in old age. I feel like the, some of the greatest fruitfulness is coming this last season of your life. And be ready for it. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, man. I feel the Spirit of God. You feel the Lord here? I feel His presence, His goodness. He's working in your hearts and minds, y'all. He loves you. He cares about you. He loves and He cares about you. Amen. Amen. Let's just, let's just stand up this morning. Put your hands up with me. Say, Father, we thank you. We love you. We honor you. 
Ooh, I feel his presence. I feel his goodness. Mm. We love the Lord. We care about you, Jesus. You're so good. You're so merciful. You're so wonderful. I love you so much. Ooh, I thank you for cleansing, purifying, and working our hearts and minds. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen, amen. All right, I love you all. It's great to have you out today. It's not good enough for you to sit in church here and hear this. You got to actually go out and love on somebody else, right? So take what you learn. Be a blessing to someone else. We'll see you here Wednesday, Sunday. If you want prayer, man, the altars are open. We'd love to pray for you. Whatever you have need of, man, we'd love to pray. Love you all very much.